Well, I, uh, I'm so glad that you're here. For those of you I haven't had the chance to talk to or meet yet, my name is Eric, and I am the core youth pastor here at Core Church, and I am so, so excited to be speaking uh, this morning. We're in a series right now called Rethinking Church, where we are looking at the church and rethinking what it means to, to, to gather. Why is it that we gather? We're talking about what it means to rethink that. The first week, we looked at what it means to rethink the power and the presence of God. We gather together as the people of God to experience the power and the presence of God. And the second week, we talked about the importance of rethinking, sitting, and soaking, how important it is for us to pour out what it is that we are soaking up. And last week, Pastor Brad did such an incredible job as he just led us all in such a powerful way as we honored the life of, of precious faith and talked about rethinking pain and suffering. And next week, Pastor Brad's going to bring this series to a close as we head into core Christmas. But today, we're going to talk about what it means to rethink steeples and people. The church isn't a place we gather. It's a people who gather. And to help us with this, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. The book of Acts was written by a guy named Luke, who also wrote the gospel of Luke, but he wrote the book of Acts to give us an account of the formation and spread of the gospel with the early church. And he says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place, shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while, I love that line, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this chance that we have to be here. And I pray that as we continue to look at your word, I pray that it would just leap off the page that we would find a way to apply it to our life. And I want to say only what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. Just ask your blessing on this time in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, I don't know about you, but I love food. There are those who eat to live, which is all of us. We all have to eat to survive and eat to continue to live. That's a very, very good thing. But then there are those who live to eat. And while we all eat to live, I feel like I'm a healthy balance, maybe more of the latter of live to eat. I just love food. And one of my favorite things to do is to share a meal together with my family around a table. And let me be honest when I say that being around a table with my family for dinner isn't something that happens every single night of the week, okay? It just does not happen. And even when it does, it does not look like a Norman Rockwell painting, if you understand that reference. If you don't, just Google it. The paintings are beautiful. Sometimes the home environment around a table does not look that way. And even when it does, sometimes it looks like a madhouse. For example, my wife, Seb, she's the Core Kids City Director, and last week after both services, all of the Core Kids team stayed after for a, a, a meeting together. And so I take our three boys home, and I heated, heated up a bunch of leftovers, and to be completely honest, it looked like a really bad potluck that you go to and you're like, what is this? I'm pretty sure this should have been thrown out a couple of days ago. Anyways, no, none of the boys ate what I heated up and that was fine. I hate wasting food. So of course I ate what 
what that was. There wasn't really other way to describe it other than what that was. It was just there, and it was just substance, and I just ate it. The other two, oldest two, fend for themselves, and I'm pretty sure my youngest, I'm pretty sure all he had for lunch was an apple, okay? So while it doesn't look the way that I want it to look all the time, prioritizing time around a table is something that my wife and I have always fought for, even when it was just the two of us. Now we've got three boys, Noah's 10, Zeke is eight, and Isaac is six, and I find myself at the end of the day looking forward to going home to be with my family around the table because I love the conversations, I love the eye contact, I love the chaos, to be completely honest, and I love catching up on how everybody's day was. There's just something really special about gathering around a table. And one night this past week, the key phrase in that sentence is one night, we were gathering around the table, and uh, my wife, she made her, her famous meatloaf. I don't know if it's like famous, famous, but our family really enjoys it, and it is kind of a big deal when she makes it, because it takes a while. And uh, Isaac, my youngest, he ate all of his meatloaf, but didn't want to eat his squash and onions. And as a parent, I'm like, okay, buddy, there's a lot left here. You need to eat your squash and onions. And he goes, I'll eat half of what's left. And I'm looking down at his plate, and I'm like, there's a lot of food left here. I said, buddy, squash and onions are really good for you. And of course, he's not hearing anything that I'm saying. He doesn't care. And he goes, I tell you what, I'm six. I'll have six more bites. (laughs) And I look down at his plate, and I'm like, after four bites, all this food's going to be gone. So I said, deal, which then he proceeds to take one bite and break it up into, into six smaller bites so that he doesn't have to eat very much. And I'm telling you, it's a brilliant move. That kid is going places. During this time, Noah, my oldest, he reaches forward to grab a glass of water. And it's very important that you understand the glass that he grabbed because it was a glass generic mason jar. They're used for canning. They're used for flowers. They're super trendy and beautiful and wonderful. And there's absolutely no way on earth or heaven to figure out which glass is whose because why? They all look the same. But Noah reaches forward and grabs a glass out of this generic glass mason jar, proceeds to take a drink, And like I said, there's no way to tell the difference between these, but my middle son, Zeke, he can tell the difference. Why? Because he is eight years old, he is a middle child, and he is hyper aware of things, especially if they are his. And he is a stickler for the rules, for those of you that didn't know that. And he is the one that helped set the table, and he made everybody aware of whose glass belonged to who. And Noah, knowing what he was doing, took the glass that belonged to Zeke and just kind of took a drink like this. You know, with that little smirk. He knew what he was doing. And Zeke immediately, immediately shuts down. And he just kind of goes like this and just melts kind of in his chair. He didn't fall to the ground, but it looked like he was going to. And every now and then, he would just kind of go like this. It's because he was crying. He was upset because somebody violated his drinking glass. And also during this time, Isaac is getting restless and he's getting overheated. And so he just proceeds to take off his shirt. And my wife and I are sitting there this whole time, and we just kind of look at each other, and we're puzzled at how we got to this stage of our lives. (laughs) Actually, she didn't say that. That was my thought. And you're lying if you said you've never thought that as a parent. You're like, how how did we get here? You're lying if you said you've never thought that as a parent. And this is a safe place, so we've all said that. But my wife, she didn't say that. She's just kind of looking around and observing the chaos, and I'm just kind of observing the chaos, and she just goes, I love our life, every bit of it. 
And I got to tell you, there is something that is really special and really powerful about sitting down together with a meal. There's just something powerful about that time together. And what it does is it becomes the shared experience, right? It creates space. It slows us down, and it reminds us that it's about the other people. It's so much about the time together. But so much of our meals today, they can become this individual experience where we're consuming whatever it is that we're consuming as we're on to the next thing. And it's no longer about the people we're with, but just eating something and going about our day. And that kind of individual experience, that, that way of consuming something, can really feel like, can leave us, leave us feeling like we're really missing something. It can really leave us feeling like there's got to be more than just this time, than, than, than just the food. It's about the time together. And what we see all throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture, but specifically in this story that we've already read, is the early church, they prioritized time together. It was about deep fellowship with one another. That was the priority. The priority was that they were devoted. They were devoted to one another. And you fast forward a few thousand years, and now it seems, not everything is like this, but it seems that everything has become this individual, personal, individually tailored, independent experience. Think about it. When it comes to our smartphones, when it comes to our individual social media accounts, some of you have seven different social media platforms accounts that you try to push information out into the interwebs, and uh, they can become this thing that we just consume independently. Or when it comes to our separate Netflix accounts that we have, or our separate Disney Plus accounts, for those of you that have jumped the mouse, they can be this thing that we just individually consume, but maybe you're like, no, 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 we don't, it's not an individual thing. We've shared our login info with other people, and so now it's this shared experience. But now you're realizing that somebody else is in charge of your suggested for you list. And you're looking at your, your previously viewed and you're wondering, when did we watch every episode of Hannah Montana? <laughs> when did we watch the first three seasons of The Simpsons? You know you can't watch that show in this house. It's my dad's voice right there, just in case you were wondering. We were not allowed to watch The Simpsons. I memorized the song, though, so that if, as kids were talking about it at school, I would be like, yeah, I know the song. I haven't watched the show. <laughs> It was just not something we were allowed to do in my house, but I knew the song. But maybe you're like, somebody else is kind of running this whole thing. Here's, here's what's interesting. With it seeming like everything is moving towards this individual experience, feelings of anxiety, of isolation, of depression, and loneliness, they're on the rise. And I read several research articles this last week that are just full of statistics that I'm not going to bore you with. But one of them was really, really striking. And this was from the National Institute of Health. And in their study they've done the last couple years, here's what they found. They found that eight in 10 children from two to 17 years old, eight in 10 children from two to 17 years old identify with at least one of those feelings daily. And that was just the kids. Yet society tells us that we've never been more connected, right? And what's been interesting to see as well during this time is that the millennials and Generation Z, they're pushing back on this whole individual experience thing. And they're moving back into the downtowns. They're moving back into the cities. They're making up excuses to gather together. Co-workspace is on the rise, which that's where you just share your office space with anybody and everybody, regardless of whether they work there or not, because they've realized, they've realized the importance of relationship and community. 
Their generation is leading the way for us to rethink what it means to connect. And I feel like this is so important for us to talk about as a church because I, I believe that the church does fellowship, does relationship, and does community the best. I believe that the local church does that the best. And maybe what it is, though, maybe we don't feel like we're isolated because we're constantly surrounded by people. Maybe that could be the disconnect that we're having when it comes to rethinking this, which makes sense if you think about it, because we we're surrounded by people at work, we're surrounded by people at school, we're surrounded by people as we're driving, we're surrounded by people online, we are literally in a room full of people here this morning. It can be hard to have a thought about what it means to be isolated. But here's a question that I have for us to think about. While we are surrounded by all kinds of people in all kinds of different environments, do we know the names of the people around us? Because what is hardwired into the heart of every single person is this very deep longing and desire to be needed and known. That is hardwired into every person here, that desire to be needed and to be known. And if we're not intentional, even the church can become this individually tailored Experience. While we are connected and while we are surrounded by people, it's interesting to hear people say how lonely they feel. And just to give you some examples of how the church can become this individually consumed personal experience, here's some examples of what I mean. It, it, it becomes this way when we say things like this. I don't like that style of teaching. Why is the youth pastor speaking the week of Thanksgiving? None of you think that, so that's, that's good. But for example, I don't like that style of teaching, or I'm not feeling the music, or there's too many people, or there's not enough people, or can we get some better coffee? I tell you what, now I sound like my son. I, I tell you what, I'm just going to catch the podcast as I'm cruising to and from work or school throughout the week. Doesn't that sound familiar? So how, how do we rethink this? What does it look like to be devoted? Because maybe the reality is, maybe we're the ones that are feeling lonely, so it's really important for us to rethink this. And how can we make sure that we're better at making people feel needed and known? And how can we make sure that our lives are about more than just us as we push past this individual experience thing, which the church was never meant to be? The church was never meant to be that. And Luke helps us with this. As you look back at Acts chapter 2, go to verse 42. This is what Luke says. All the believers devoted themselves, and just for fun, let's keep count of this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. That's five things that the church, that the people devoted themselves to. Five things. That's a lot. Do you, uh, do you all remember this old rhyme? It, it goes like this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors, and there's all the people, right? But what if verse 42 read this way? What if it read this way? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That rhyme would be like this. Here's the church and here's the steeple. And that's it. That's where it would stop. And then chapter 3 would start. And it would be all about Peter and John. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer meeting. Wow. Those guys were devoted. It'd be all about them. And we wouldn't see the commitment to one another. We wouldn't see the devotion to people. We wouldn't see how it was more than just the place that they met. It was about who was gathered together. 
And we can allow the church, we can allow the time together to be a roadblock to where we're going for lunch, to be a roadblock to the things that we need to do before Monday starts. Monday's a machine. And the second you flip that machine, it is a nonstop marathon to the weekend. And we can feel like this time is something that keeps us from what we need to do before the craziness starts. That's why we can rush in, rush out, and never take time for people. But this is what I love about court church, and I see this every week, is people are showing up early, people are staying late, they're making sure that the coffee is ready, they're making sure that the water is hot, they're making sure that the seats and the tables and the couches are all arranged in the lobby. Why? Because they want people to come in and, and take a look at the, the beautiful facility and feel, this place is ready for me. These people are ready to, in, to connect with me because we know that everybody has this deep desire to be needed and known. That's why we make it such a priority. There are people who come to make sure that there is a new here card and a next step card in every seat back. Why? Because we understand that that is not just to collect people's information, it's to intentionally connect people to people because at Core Church, we believe that at the heart of every single person is this longing and this deep desire to be needed and known, and we don't want anybody to feel out of place. We don't want anybody to, to get missed. And we know that as we come, we're not coming just so that we can be encouraged, but that's so we can learn how to encourage somebody else. And one of my favorite things to see is people praying together in the lobby, catching up on how life is going, praying with one another, praying with our prayer team up at the front here at the end of our service. Such a powerful thing. It's such a powerful thing that we can do to make time for people. And we focus on people because we know and we believe that, that this is true. The church is not a place that we gather. It's a people who gather. And to help us understand this just a little bit further, Luke says in verse 46, if you'll go to, to 46, look what he says. It says, they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and I love this. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. So the first thing we see is that they worshiped together and that they met together every single day, which makes sense because of the proximity in which they lived close to one another and how close they were to the church. It makes sense for them to, to get together and go to the temple every single day. It makes sense. Fast forward to today, we gather once a week because we understand, like the early church did, that Sunday matters. This time that we have together is really, really important. And we realize that as we gather, that it's about people. We gather each week, just like the early church, because they knew what we know, that you can best experience God's presence with the pre in the presence of other people. That's why we gather. We gather to experience God together. It's about a shared experience. It's about creating space and time for us to feel connected and for us to connect with other people. And what we do on Sundays is a type of table gathering. And I realize that at this very moment, we are not in tables. I realize that. But we, every single week, at the end of every single service, we gather around the table, the sacraments, communion. Because we realize that gathering around the table is really, really important. We, ga we gather to remember the life the death, and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And we know this to be true because the early church did this. We gather spiritually to connect to God and to one another. And what does that do? That reminds us that we're here for each other. 
So some of you like this, some of you don't, that's okay. But I want you to turn to somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you, and I want you to tell them, I'm here for you. It's great. You guys are doing great. Some of you will never do that, and that's okay. <laughs> but we are here for each other. The next thing that we see is that they met in homes, and I love that. I love that that's included in this story of how they intentionally met in homes. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it was. They intentionally met in homes with one another and shared a meal together. And they did this because they know what a home represents. A home represents family. And that's what we are when we gather here. We're a family. We're a compilation of all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds. We are a family. This is why we have core groups. Our core groups meet every single week in homes all across the city, and people are prioritizing time with one another. And some of our groups eat a meal together, and all of our groups pray together because they realize life is better when it includes others. And many of our groups make this a priority every single week. And if you've ever wondered, if you've ever wondered, why do we do that? We do this because this is what the early church did. And the early church did it because Jesus modeled it for them. Jesus modeled for the early church how important this was and what this needed to look like. Jesus, the Son of God, kind of a big deal, lots of important things that he could do. What do we constantly see him spending his time doing all throughout the New Testament? Spending time with people. And most of the time, not every time, but most of the time, spending time with people around a table for a meal. And the night that he was betrayed, just before this, he spent time with his disciples around a table. We know it as the Last Supper. They shared a meal together, and after the meal, they took communion. And out of everything that Jesus could have spent his time doing the last night that he had to spend with with his disciples, he knew that the most important thing that he could do was to gather all of them around a table to share a meal with one another, to take communion together. And what's so cool is when he was crucified, when he came back to life, when he ascends to heaven, the early church, they gathered together together. The gospel begins to spread, and what do they instinctively just start doing? What Jesus modeled for them. That's what the early church did, and that's what we are still doing to this day. Like, how powerful is that? There's something so powerful about inviting somebody into your home, but it's a sacrifice, right? The group group leaders will attest to this. I was talking to one group leader this last week. And they said how they're always tempted 15 minutes before a group starts to cancel because they're tired or they want to vacuum their carpet or they have to clean the bathroom or they have to go to the grocery store and, or there's a hundred other different things that they need to do before Monday, kind of like we've already talked about. And they were joking when they said, I wonder if we could just get our core group together and just meet at the grocery store so that we all get our groceries, we all get what we need, and we connect with one another and we just kind of knock two things out at once. And some of you are thinking, you're like, that is a really great idea. Here's what we're going to do, okay? And you've already got a game plan. You're going to split up your lists. People are going to divide and conquer, and you're going to get your stuff. You're going to get out, and you're going to be like, that was great. And some of you are like, you're not going to touch my grocery list. (laughs) Maybe you're one of those people that hates when people kind of peek into your shopping cart. Why do people do that, by the way? You know, as you're pushing your cart, and somebody just kind of goes, hmm, 
I don't know what that means. I don't know why people do that. But sometimes I'll be like, ooh, where did you get that in the store that you're in? Anyways, that was just a, a rabbit trail. I, I apologize. Where am I at here? <laughs> but as I was talking to this person, they said that every week they're so glad that they didn't cancel because there's something so powerful about meeting with people together in a home. While it's a sacrifice, something really special happens when you invite somebody in. This is what really helped us break down walls with our neighbors. Right across the street uh, is this family that lives uh, by us, and their names are Sean, Ray Ray, and their mom, Kia. And for years, we tried all kinds of things to try to connect with them. The waves when we get home before we walk in, the, the passing conversation, hey, Sean, hey, Eric. Hey, Ray Ray, hey, Eric. Hi, Kia. Hi, 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 Kia. Okay, okay, yeah, not today. All right, that's all right. And we try to do the invites. We do the door hangers. We would do Christmas cookies at Christmas, anything that we could try to do to connect with this family. And year after year, just felt like we were getting nowhere. And so one night, we get this knock at the door, which nobody knocks. And when somebody knocks, you're like, who in the world is that? But there was this knock at the door. And I answered, and it was Sean and and Ray Ray. And they said, hey, we're locked out. Our mom is going to be late getting home to work. Is it okay if we just kind of hang out on your your porch area? And I said, said, sure, yeah, that's fine. So I closed the door. My wife goes, who's that? I said, oh, it was Sean and and Ray Ray, and and their mom's late. They're locked out, and they're going to wait on our porch area. She was like, it's it's like 30 degrees outside. (laughs) So she opens the door, goes full mom mode, and she goes, get in here, just like that. And I was like, okay. And she closes the door, and Sean and Ray Ray got to observe Isaac bartering like a pirate, and Zeke shutting down, and Noah burping his ABCs, which he's quite proud of. And that didn't send them running for the hills. They came again and again and again, and we got to connect with their mom. Their family has watched our boys while we've been on a date or just whatever. They've watched our home while we've been out of town, and Ray Ray... She comes over uh, quite often, and she has a, a very unique knock that she does. It sounds like this. That's it. And then she just opens the door. Like, there's no, like, it's Ray Ray. You know, it's nothing like that. She just does the knock, opens the door, and just comes on in. And sometimes, sometimes she just comes in, and she doesn't say anything. She just kind of sits there. And what's been really cool to see is over these last five years, we've really become devoted to one another. We've really become a family. Something really special happens when you invite people in. You become a family. And this is what we are here at Core Church. So for those of you that love this, for those of you that don't, we're going to do it anyways. I want you to turn to somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you, and tell them we're a family. That's great. I love this, guys. You're doing so great. Ah, love it. Isn't that just good for your soul? Some of you are like, nope. Another thing we see here in this story, from start to finish, another thing we see in this story is that they prayed for one another. They prioritized prayer together. Prayer was a big part of their time together at the temple, in their homes. This is why we have Core Midweek. It's one of my favorite environments that we have, and it happens not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, Wednesday, December 4th. Remember that. And if you've never been, what we do is we sit together around a table, and we have a meal together. And then after that, we take time to pray as a table group. 
We pray in individual groups, three or four. Everything about the evening is wrapped around prayer. But we can forget, we can forget why we sit down at a table. We can forget why we take time to eat together. We can forget why we do that. But what does a meal do? When you're sitting at a table with somebody having a meal, what does that do? It slows us down, right? And it creates space. Space for conversation, space for eye contact, or just space to recognize that somebody is present with you in that moment. And then, like I said, what we do is we pray as a table for all the requests that have come in. We pray for every single request that comes in, and they're divided among everybody. And then what we do after that is we break off into groups of three or four, men with men and women with women. And I got to tell you, that time that we have, while that might seem intimidating to some of you, having three guys pray for me and having the chance for me to pray with three other men is a really powerful thing. This last summer when I was experiencing what I wasn't sure was going on in my heart, it was an early onset of anxiety and panic attacks. And for three guys to gather around me and pray for me when I was not sure what was going on, when that was a very scary time, and I wasn't really sure what was going on with my heart or my health, that was a really powerful thing for me. And it showed me that they were devoted to me. And as we wrapped up and I was able to kind of look up and see everybody else doing the same thing, it showed that we were devoted to one another. That's what we are here at Core Church. We are devoted to one another. So I'm pretty sure this is the last one. But I want you to turn to somebody next to you, in front of you, behind you, and tell them, I'm devoted to you. Ah, that's great. You did it. Some of you are like, that was four times. All of these things, all of these things we've talked about, what do they revolve around? They revolve around the idea of people, right? They revolve around the idea of people. And this is what, this is what Scripture says. This is what the early church did. They were all about the people. And this is what we do at Core Church because we know that the church isn't a place we gather. It's a people who gather. And now that we have that understanding, maybe there's some things that you need to rethink. Maybe there's some things that you need to rethink when it comes to Sunday morning. What would it look like for you to come 10 minutes early or stay 10 minutes later and intentionally have this thought in your brain that you're going to connect with someone? You don't know who, but you're just going to be available to somebody. At the end of our service, both of our services, every week, we pray a prayer together And there's a line in that prayer where we pray for us to be available to people. Make me available and willing is the prayer that we pray. So what would it look like if you had that thought in your head? I don't know who I'm going to connect with, but I'm going to be available. And maybe it's a conversation that you have with somebody at one of the tables. Or you're sitting on the couch and you talk about what's going on at work. You talk about what's going on at school. You talk about what's going on with your kids. Maybe you ask Another parent, hey, is it normal for a kid to not like to wear their underwear or for a kid to take their shirt off at the dinner table? So I'm just, I'm just, those are just ideas, okay? I'm just giving you conversation starters. You can't make that stuff up, people. You just can't make that stuff up. That is Isaac in a nutshell. Hates underwear, hates wearing shirts. He feels violated when he has to wear clothes. That's just, that's just who he is, and I wouldn't change anything about it. But again, I digress. Those are just conversation starters. Maybe it's when you're grabbing a coffee or a tea in the morning, and you 
realize that somebody fixes up their coffee the same way you do. You're available to make that, that connection and that conversation. I don't know, whatever that might look like for you. But maybe you make a decision to get on a core team for the month of December because you realize that more people come in the month of December than they do the rest of the year. And you want to make sure that everybody feels needed and known. And so instead of waiting for somebody to come to you, you're going to go to them because you know that people matter. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe there are some things to rethink when it comes to core groups. Maybe you don't have a, a, a space in your home for an entire group. I get that. Our space is limited in my home. But we do have room for a family. We do have room for a friend. And I, I think you do too. You have room for a family. You have room for a friend. You have the opportunity to invite somebody in. And I, I realize that inviting somebody into your home is, is kind of hectic. It's kind of a dying art. You know, we don't really invite people in very often. Uh, think about if you're picking up a friend or if somebody's picking you up. They don't come to the door and knock anymore. They send a text or you send a text to somebody to let them know that you have arrived. I mean, I, I did this with my wife just yesterday when we got to the roller rink. I sent her a text. We've all either sent this text or received this text or been with somebody when they have, and it's a one-word text to show that we've arrived. What is that word? All it says is here. That's all it says. Like, we don't even get out of the car to go to the door, knock on the door, say, hey, I'm here. I mean, that would be weird. Don't do that. But, <laughs> but we, don't even, we don't even go into a home to get somebody. It's just this dying art of inviting somebody in. But, but what if, if you lead a core group or you're a part of a core group, what if you said every single Sunday, I'm going to be there? I'm going to make it a priority to meet with our core group in our home. You say that you're not going to miss it all in December. Or maybe you realize so much of the connection, the importance of connection with other people that you don't wait for Sunday. On top of that, you make a decision, I'm going to connect with a family we're going we're gonna to go out to dinner, or I'm going to connect with a friend, and we're going to meet for coffee. we got to remember, it's not about where the meeting takes place. It's just about the time together. And when you're having that time together with that family or with that friend, you're having church. And why is that? Because the church isn't a place we gather. It's a people that we, we gather. So maybe that is your next step. Maybe you have never been to Core Midweek. And as I unpack what that environment looks like, and the way that I, I feel so connected to those men that pray for me, maybe that is an environment that you just haven't made a priority. And it's, it's the first Wednesday of December, and you make the decision, I'm going to be at Core Midweek. I've never been, but I want to feel that feeling of being needed and known. I want to feel that feeling of being connected and devoted one to another. And so that's, that's your next step. You're going to be there. And here's... <laughs> Here's what I realize. I realize that Thanksgiving is Thursday. Okay, I realize that. I, I've got the same calendar that you do. And I realize that after Thanksgiving, it can seem like a mad dash to Christmas. And it's after New Year's where you're finally able to, oh my gosh, what just happened? I, got, I, I realize that. And I realize that this is probably the worst possible time to give you some kind of charge, some kind of action step, some kind of commitment to make when it comes to taking a next step and connecting with somebody else, I realize that this is probably the worst possible time to do that because maybe you, maybe you can't even think about saying yes to something else because of all these things that you've said yes to. But what if, what if what we're missing in our life isn't one more thing, but one more person? What if that's what we're missing? 
And we're going from thing to thing to thing. And for some reason, we're surprised that we don't feel connected. What if what you need is one more person? If we're going to rethink steeples and people, if we're going to rethink church, this is what it's going to require. It's going to require a willingness on our part to make some kind of sacrifice, to make some kind of sacrifice to connect with other people. And this is what the church looked like so long ago. The church looked this way because they did what Jesus did. Jesus modeled for them what it looks like. And now we are taking our place in the history of church, and it can still look this way. It can still be like this. We can still have times where people leave and we're like, I don't know what happened, but that was an incredible experience. That was last week for me. For those of you who weren't here, we honored the life of a, of a three-year-old girl that was a part of our community that was uh, found non-responsive and pronounced dead a couple weeks ago. And while it was a very, very heavy service, it was just really powerful. The way that God's spirit moved in that service was just, was just incredible, right? Like it can still look like that. We can still gather together and realize, oh, this is about other people. We've just got to remember one thing. The church isn't a place we gather. It's a people who gather. We're going to pray here in just a moment, but I want to invite the band up at this time. And as they're coming and as they're getting in place, what I want you to do is just take a moment to rethink Take a moment and think through what next step you're going to take. Because again, if we're not careful, if we don't make any kind of intentional next step, commitment, or action, then what we've just kind of taken in is just one more thing. And then we're going to leave, and we're going to try, to try to beat the other churches to Golden Corral, or we're going to try to go to wherever and get our groceries, and it's, this is just going to kind of be one more roadblock, one more thing to what it is that we feel like we, we have to get done. So what next step are you going to take? What commitment are you going to make? What sacrifice are you going to make to rethink and to reprioritize people? There's a lot of things that we say yes to. But what would it look like for us to say yes to a person?